Part One, Chapter Four of Lady Byron Vindicated: A History of the Byron Controversy by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: Results After Lord Byron's Death, Part Two of Three. The effect of Lady Byron's statement on the literary world may be best judged by the discussion of it by Christopher North, a.k.a. Wilson, in the succeeding May number of the Noctes, where the bravest and most generous of literary men that then were, himself the husband of a gentle wife, thus gives sentence. The conversation is between North and the shepherd. North god forbid i should wound the feelings of lady byron of whose character known to me but by the high estimation in which it is held by all who have enjoyed her friendship i have always spoken with respect but may i without harshness or indelicacy say here among ourselves james that by marrying byron she took upon herself with eyes wide open and conscience clearly convinced duties very different from those of which even in common cases the presaging foresight shadows the light of the first nuptial moon shepherd she did that sir by my troth she did that north miss milbank knew he was reckoned a rake and a rogue and although his genius wiped off by impassioned eloquence in love letters that were felt to be irresistible or hid the worst stain of that reproach still miss milbank must have believed it a perilous thing to be the wife of lord byron but still by joining her life to his in marriage she pledged her troth and her faith and her love under probabilities of severe disturbing perhaps fearful trials in the future but i think lady byron ought not to have printed that narrative death abrogates not the rights of a husband to his wife's silence when speech is fatal to his character as a man has she not flung suspicion over his bones interred that they are the bones of a monster if byron's sins or crimes for we are driven to use terrible terms were unendurable and unforgivable as if against the holy ghost ought the wheel the rack or the stake to have exhorted that confession from his widow's breast but there was no such pain here james the declaration was voluntary and it was calm self-collected and gathering up all her faculties and feelings into unshrinking strength she denounced before all the world and throughout all space and all time her husband as excommunicated by his vices from woman's bosom twas to vindicate the character of her parents that lady byron wrote a holy purpose and devout nor do i doubt sincere but filial affection and reverence sacred as they are may be blamelessly nay righteously subordinate to conjugal duties which die not with the dead are extinguished not even by the sins of the dead were they as foul as the grave's corruption End quote. here is what john stuart mill calls the literature of slavery for woman in length and breadth and that all women may understand the doctrine the shepherd now takes up his parable and expounds the true position of the wife we render his scotch into english 
not a few such widows do i know whom brutal profligate and savage husbands have brought to the brink of the grave as good as bright as innocent as and far more forgiving than lady byron there they sit in their obscure rarely visited dwellings for sympathy instructed by suffering knows well that the deepest and most hopeless misery is least given to complaint then follows a pathetic picture of one such widow trembling and fainting for hunger obliged on her way to the well for a can of water her only drink to sit down on a knoll and say a prayer yet she's decently yea tidily dressed poor creature in sarah worn widow's clothes a single suit for saturday and sunday her hair untimely gray is neatly braided under her crape cap and sometimes when all is still and solitary in the fields and all labor has disappeared into the house you may see her stealing by herself or leading one wee orphan by the hand with another at her breast to the kirkyard where the love of her youth and the husband of her prime is buried yet says the shepherd he was a brute a ruffian a monster when drunk how he raged and cursed and swore often did she dread that in his fits of inhuman passion he would have murdered the baby at her breast for she had seen him dash their only little boy a child of eight years old on the floor till the blood gushed from his ears and then the madman threw himself down on the body and howled for the gallows limers haunted his door and he theirs and it was hers to lie not sleep in a cold forsaken bed once the bed of peace affection and perfect happiness often he struck her and once when she was pregnant with that very orphan now smiling on her breast reaching out his wee fingers to touch the flowers on his father's grave but she tries to smile among the neighbors and speaks of her boy's likeness to its father nor when the conversation turns on bygone times does she fear to let his name escape her white lips my robert the baron's not ill-favored but he will never look like his father and such sayings uttered in a calm sweet voice nay i remember once how her pale countenance reddened with a sudden flush of pride when a gossiping crone alluded to their wedding and the widow's eyes brightened through her tears to hear how the bridegroom sitting that sabbath in his front seat beside his bonny bride had not his equal for strength stature and all that is beauty in man in all the congregation that i say sir whether right or wrong was forgiveness End quote. here is a specimen of how even generous men had been so perverted by the enchantment of lord byron's genius as to turn all the pathos and power of the strongest literature of that day against the persecuted pure woman and for the strong wicked man these blackwood writers knew by byron's own filthy ghastly writings which had gone sorely against their own moral stomachs that he was foul to the bone they could see in moore's memoirs right before them how he had caught an innocent girl's heart by sending a love-letter and offer of marriage at the end of a long friendly correspondence a letter that had been written to show to his libertine set and sent on the toss-up of a copper because he cared nothing for it one way or the other they admit that having won this poor girl he had been savage brutal drunken cruel 
they had read the filthy taunts in don juan and the nameless abominations in the autobiography they had admitted amongst themselves that his honor was lost but still this abused desecrated woman must reverence her brutal master's memory and not speak even to defend the grave of her own kind father and mother that there was no lover of her youth that her marriage vow had been a hideous shameless cheat is on the face of moore's account yet the blackwood does not see it nor feel it and brings up against lady byron this touching story of a poor widow who really had had a true lover once a lover maddened imbruted lost through that very drunkenness in which the noctes club were always glorying it is because of such transgressors as byron such supporters as moore and the noctes club that there are so many helpless cowering broken-hearted abject women given over to the animal love which they share alike with the poor dog the dog who beaten kicked starved and cuffed still lies by his drunken master with great anxious eyes of love and sorrow and with sweet brute forgiveness nestles upon his bosom as he lies in his filth in the snowy ditch to keep the warmth of life in him great is the mystery of this fidelity in the poor loving brute most mournful and most sacred but oh that a noble man should have no higher ideal of the love of a high-souled heroic woman oh that men should teach women that they owe no higher duties and are capable of no higher tenderness than this loving unquestioning animal fidelity the dog is ever loving ever forgiving because god has given him no high range of moral faculties no sense of justice no consequent horror at impurity and vileness much of the beautiful patience and forgiveness of women is made possible to them by that utter deadness to the sense of justice which the laws literature and misunderstood religion of england have sought to induce in woman as a special grace and virtue the lesson to women in this pathetic piece of special pleading is that man may sink himself below the brute may wallow in filth like the swine may turn his home into a hell beat and torture his children forsake the marriage-bed for foul rivals yet all this does not dissolve the marriage-vow on her part nor free his bounden serf from her obligation to honour his memory nay to sacrifice to it the honour due to a kind father and mother slandered in their silent graves such was the sympathy and such the advice that the best literature of england could give to a young widow a peeress of england whose husband as they verily believed and admitted might have done worse than all this whose crimes might have been foul monstrous unforgivable as the sin against the holy ghost if these things be done in the green tree what shall be done in the dry if the peeress as a wife has no rights what is the state of the cotter's wife but in the same paper north again blames lady byron for not having come out with the whole story before the world at the time she separated from her husband he says of the time when she first consulted counsel through her mother keeping back one item quote, how weak and worse than weak at such a juncture on which hung her whole fate to ask legal advice on an imperfect document 
give the delicacy of a virtuous woman its due but at such a crisis when the question was whether her conscience was to be free from the oath of oaths delicacy should have died and nature was privileged to show unashamed if such there be the records of uttermost pollution shepherd and what think ye sir that all this pollution could have been that say electrified dr lushington north bad 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 james nameless it is horrible named it might leave byron's memory yet within the range of pity and forgiveness and where they are their sister affections will not be far though like weeping seraphs standing aloof and veiling their wings shepherd she should indeed have been silent till the grave had closed on her sorrows as on his sins north even now she should speak or someone else for her and a few words will suffice worse the condition of a dead man's name cannot be far far better it might i believe it would be were all the truth somehow or other declared and declared it must be not for byron's sake only but for the sake of humanity itself and then a mitigated sentence or eternal silence we have another discussion of lady byron's duties in a further number of blackwood the memoir being out it was proposed that there should be a complete annotation of byron's works gotten up and adorned for the further glorification of his memory with portraits of the various women whom he had delighted to honour murray applied to lady byron for her portrait and was met with a cold decided negative after reading all the particulars of byron's harem of mistresses and moore's comparisons between herself and laguiccioli one might imagine reasons why a lady with proper self-respect should object to appearing in this manner one would suppose there might have been gentlemen who could well appreciate the motive of that refusal but it was only considered a new evidence that she was indifferent to her conjugal duties and wanting in that respect which christopher north had told her she owed a husband's memory though his crimes were foul as the rottenness of the grave never since queen vashti refused to come at the command of a drunken husband to show herself to his drunken lords was there a clearer case of disrespect to the marital dignity on the part of a wife it was a plain act of insubordination rebellion against law and order and how shocking in lady byron who ought to feel herself but too much flattered to be exhibited to the public as the head wife of a man of genius means were at once adopted to subdue her contumacy in which one may read in a note to the blackwood noctes september eighteen thirty two an artist was sent down to ealing to take her picture by stealth as she sat in church two sittings were thus obtained without her knowledge in the third one the artist placed himself boldly before her and sketched so that she could not but observe him we shall give the rest in mackenzie's own words as a remarkable specimen of the obtuseness not to say indelicacy of feeling which seemed to pervade the literary circles of england at that time mackenzie after prayers wright and his friend the artist were visited by an ambassador from her ladyship to inquire the meaning of what she had seen the reply was that mr murray must have her portrait and was compelled to take what she refused to give 
the result was wright was requested to visit her which he did taking with him not the sketch which was very good but another in which there was a strong touch of caricature rather than allow that to appear as her likeness a very natural and womanly feeling by the way she consented to sit for the portrait to w j newton which was engraved and is here alluded to the artless barbarism of this note is too good to be lost but it is quite borne out by the conversation in the noctes club which it illustrates it would appear from this conversation that these byron beauties appeared successively in pamphlet form and the picture of lady byron is thus discussed mullion i don't know if you have seen the last brochure it has a charming head of lady byron who it seems sat on purpose and that's very agreeable to hear of for it shows her ladyship has got over any little soreness that moore's life occasioned and is now willing to contribute anything in her power to the real monument of byron's genius north i am delighted to hear of this tis really very noble in the unfortunate lady i never saw her is the face a striking one mullion eminently so a most calm pensive melancholy style of native beauty and a most touching contrast to the maids of athens ainsley and all the rest of them i'm sure you'll have the proof Finden has sent you framed for the boudoir at the lodge north by all means i mean to do that for all the byron beauties but it may be asked was there not a man in all england with delicacy enough to feel for lady byron and chivalry enough to speak a bold word for her yes there was one thomas campbell the poet when he read lady byron's statement believed it as did christopher north but it affected him differently it appeared he did not believe it a wife's duty to burn herself on her husband's funeral pile as did christopher north and held the singular idea that a wife had some rights as a human being as well as a husband lady byron's own statement appeared in pamphlet form in eighteen thirty at least such is the date at the foot of the document thomas campbell in the new monthly magazine shortly after printed a spirited gentlemanly defence of lady byron and administered a pointed rebuke to moore for the rudeness and indelicacy he had shown in selecting from byron's letters the coarsest against herself her parents and her old governess mrs claremont and by the indecent comparisons he had instituted between lady byron and lord byron's last mistress it is refreshing to hear at last from somebody who is not altogether on his knees at the feet of the popular idol and who has some chivalry for a woman and some idea of common humanity campbell says i found my right to speak on this painful subject on its now irrevocable publicity brought up afresh as it has been by mr moore to be the theme of discourse to millions and if i err not much the cause of misconception to innumerable minds i claim to speak of lady byron in the right of a man and of a friend to the rights of woman and to liberty and to natural religion i claim a right more especially as one of the many friends of lady byron who one and all feel aggrieved by this production it has virtually dragged her forward from the shade of retirement where she had hid her sorrows and compelled her to defend the heads of her friends and her parents from being crushed under the tombstone of byron 
nay in a general view it has forced her to defend herself though with her true sense and her pure taste she stands above all special pleading to plenary explanation she ought not she never shall be driven mr moore is too much a gentleman not to shudder at the thought of that but if other byronists of a far different stamp were to force the savage ordeal it is her enemies and not she that would have to dread the burning ploughshares we her friends have no wish to prolong the discussion but a few words we must add even to her admirable statement for hers is a cause not only dear to her friends but having become from mr moore and her misfortunes a publicly agitated cause it concerns morality and the most sacred rights of the sex that she should be acquitted out and out and that too without more special explanations and honorably acquitted in this business of all share in the blame which is one and indivisible mr moore on further reflection may see this and his return to candour will surprise us less than his momentary deviation from its path for the tact of mr moore's conduct in this affair i have not to answer but if indelicacy be charged upon me i scorn the charge neither will i submit to be called lord byron's accuser because a word against him i wish not to say beyond what is painfully wrung from me by the necessity of owning and illustrating lady byron's unblamableness and of repelling certain misconceptions respecting her which are now walking the fashionable world and which have been fostered though heaven knows where they were born most delicately and warily by the christian godfathership of mr moore i write not at lady byron's bidding i have never humiliated either her or myself by asking if i should write or what i should write that is to say i never applied to her for information against lord byron though i was justified as one intending to criticise mr moore in inquiring into the truth of some of his statements neither will i suffer myself to be called her champion if by that word be meant the advocate of her mere legal innocence for that i take it nobody questions still less is it from the sorry impulse of pity that i speak of this noble woman for i look with wonder and even envy at the proud purity of her sense and conscience that have carried her exquisite sensibilities in triumph through such poignant tribulations but i am proud to be called her friend the humble illustrator of her cause and the advocate of those principles which make it to me more interesting than lord byron's lady byron if the subject must be discussed belongs to sentiment and morality at least as much as lord byron nor is she to be suffered when compelled to speak to raise her voice as in a desert with no friendly voice to respond to her lady byron could not have outlived her sufferings if she had not wound up her fortitude to the high point of trusting mainly for consolation not to the opinion of the world but to her own inward peace and having said what ought to convince the world i verily believe that she has less care about the fashionable opinion respecting her than any of her friends can have but we her friends mix with the world and we hear offensive absurdities about her which we have a right to put down i proceed to deal more generally with mr moore's book 
you speak mr moore against lord byron's censures in a tone of indignation which is perfectly lawful towards calumnious traducers but which would not terrify me or any other man of courage who is no calumniator from uttering his mind freely with regard to this part of your hero's conduct i question your philosophy in assuming that all that is noble in byron's poetry was inconsistent with the possibility of his being devoted to a pure and good woman and i repudiate your morality for canting too complacently about the lava of his imagination and the unsettled fever of his passions being any excuses for his planting the ticadularu of domestic suffering in a meek woman's bosom these are hard words mr moore but you have brought them on yourself by your voluntary ignorance of facts known to me for you might and ought to have known both sides of the question and if the subject was too delicate for you to consult lady byron's confidential friends you ought to have had nothing to do with the subject but you cannot have submitted your book even to lord byron's sister otherwise she would have set you right about the imaginary spy mrs clermont campbell now goes on to print at his own peril he says and without time to ask leave the following note from lady byron in reply to an application he made to her when he was about to review moore's book for an estimate as to the correctness of moore's statements the following is lady byron's reply dear mr campbell in taking up my pen to point out for your private information those passages in mr moore's representation of my part of the story which were open to contradiction i find them of still greater extent than i had supposed and to deny an assertion here and there would virtually admit the truth of the rest if on the contrary i were to enter into a full exposure of the falsehood of the views taken by mr moore i must detail various matters which consistently with my principles and feelings i cannot under the existing circumstances disclose i may perhaps convince you better of the difficulty of the case by an example it is not true that pecuniary embarrassments were the cause of the disturbed state of lord byron's mind or formed the chief reason for the arrangements made by him at that time but is it reasonable for me to expect that you or any one else should believe this unless i show you what were the causes in question and this i cannot do i am etc signed a i noel byron campbell then goes on to reprove more for his injustice to mrs claremont whom lord byron had denounced as a spy but whose respectability and innocence were vouched for by lord byron's own family and then he pointedly rebukes one false statement of great indelicacy and cruelty concerning lady byron's courtship as follows it is a further mistake on mr moore's part and i can prove it to be so if proof be necessary to represent lady byron in the course of their courtship as one inviting her future husband to correspondence by letters after she had at first refused him she never proposed a correspondence on the contrary he sent her a message after that first refusal stating that he meant to go abroad and to travel for some years in the east that he should depart with a heart aching but not angry and that he only begged a verbal assurance that she had still some interest in his happiness could miss milbank as a well-bred woman refuse a courteous answer to such a message 
she sent him a verbal answer which was merely kind and becoming but which signified no encouragement that he should renew his offer of marriage after that message he wrote to her a most interesting letter about himself about his views personal moral and religious to which it would have been uncharitable not to have replied the result was an insensibly increasing correspondence which ended in her being devotedly attached to him about that time i occasionally saw lord byron and though i knew less of him than mr moore yet i suspect i knew as much of him as miss milbank then knew at that time he was so pleasing that if i had had a daughter with ample fortune and beauty i should have trusted her in marriage with lord byron mr moore at that period evidently understood lord byron better than either his future bride or myself but this speaks more for moore's shrewdness than for byron's ingenuousness of character it was more for lord byron's sake than for his widow's that i resort not to a more special examination of mr moore's misconceptions the subject would lead me insensibly into hateful disclosures against poor lord byron who is more unfortunate in his rash defenders than in his reluctant accusers happily his own candour turns our hostility from himself against his defenders it was only in wayward and bitter remarks that he misrepresented lady byron he would have defended himself irresistibly if mr moore had left only his acknowledging passages but mr moore has produced a life of him which reflects blame on lady byron so dexterously that more is meant than meets the ear the almost universal impression produced by his book is that lady byron must be a precise and a wan unwarming spirit a blue stocking of chill-blained learning a piece of insensitive goodness who that knows lady byron will not pronounce her to be everything the reverse will it be believed that this person so unsuitably matched to her moody lord has written verses that would do no discredit to byron himself that her sensitiveness is surpassed and bounded only by her good sense and that she is quote, blessed with a temper whose unclouded ray can make to-morrow cheerful as to-day she brought to lord byron beauty manners fortune meekness romantic affection and everything that ought to have made her to the most transcendent man of genius had he been what he should have been his pride and his idol i speak not of lady byron in the commonplace manner of attesting character i appeal to the gifted mrs siddons and joanna bailey to lady charlemont and to other ornaments of their sex whether i am exaggerating in the least when i say that in their whole lives they have seen few beings so intellectual and well-tempered as lady byron i wish to be as ingenuous as possible in speaking of her her manner i have no hesitation to say is cool at the first interview but is modestly and not insolently cool she contracted it i believe from being exposed by her beauty and large fortune in youth to numbers of suitors whom she could not have otherwise kept at a distance but this manner could have had no influence with lord byron for it vanishes on nearer acquaintance and has no origin in coldness all her friends like her frankness the better for being preceded by this reserve this manner however though not the slightest apology for lord byron has been inimical to lady byron in her misfortunes it endears her to her friends but it piques the indifferent 
most odiously unjust therefore is mr moore's assertion that she has had the advantage of lord byron in public opinion she is comparatively speaking unknown to the world for though she has many friends that is a friend in every one who knows her yet her pride and purity and misfortunes naturally contract the circle of her acquaintance there is something exquisitely unjust in mr moore comparing her chance of popularity with lord byron's the poet who can command men of talents putting even mr moore into the livery of his service and who has suborned the favour of almost all women by the beauty of his person and the voluptuousness of his verses lady byron has nothing to oppose to these fascinations but the truth and justice of her cause you said mr moore that lady byron was unsuitable to her lord the word is cunningly insidious and may mean as much or as little as may suit your convenience but if she was unsuitable i remark that it tells all the worse against lord byron i have not read it in your book for i hate to wade through it but they tell me that you have not only warily deprecated lady byron but that you have described a lady that would have suited him if this be true it is the unkindest cut of all to hold up a florid description of a woman suitable to lord byron as if in mockery over the forlorn flower of virtue that was drooping in the solitude of sorrow but i trust there is no such passage in your book surely you must be conscious of your woman with her quote, virtue loose about her who would have suited lord byron end quote to be as imaginary a being as the woman without a head a woman to suit lord byron pooh pooh i could paint to you the woman that could have matched him if i had not bargained to say as little as possible against him if lady byron was not suitable to lord byron so much the worse for his lordship for let me tell you mr moore that neither your poetry nor lord byron's nor all the poetry put together ever delineated a more interesting being than the woman whom you have so coldly treated this was not kicking the dead lion but wounding the living lamb who was already bleeding and shorn even unto the quick i know that collectively speaking the world is in lady byron's favour but it is coldly favourable and you have not warmed its breath time however cures everything and even your book mr moore may be the means of lady byron's character being better appreciated signed thomas campbell here is what seems to be a gentlemanly high-spirited chivalric man throwing down his glove in the lists for a pure woman what was the consequence campbell was crowded back thrust down overwhelmed his eyes filled with dust his mouth with ashes this ends chapter four part two of three Results after Lord Byron's death. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana.